Well, Jay, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling a little cooped up here. It's time. Uh, it's time for a move. I think get some uh, some space, some bigger yard, that kind of thing. What do you think? You are really gonna move, but like that's like that's a big deal. Like you can't do it that. It is a big deal. You're, you're scared to even leave your living room. <laughs> it's a. It seem what seems like a big deal moving isn't when you use the right people. You can use these sell your own home situations where you're you're bartering with a guy in your driveway for 45 minutes and you end up selling for $3 or you can use a professional that makes moving actually simple. Who are we going to use? But the problem is obviously Tom, but my worry is like you're so far, you're in Orleans. Tom will come to Orleans, he'll go to Russell, he'll go to Clarence Creek, he'll go to west of the Westie Village, wherever it is out there. <laughs> he'll go anywhere for you and make that experience that you were talking about of nervous or a lot of work, make it seem like nothing. Bastion and Ferguson will literally smooth out the easiest move of your life. Wow, even in Orleans, I just can't get over that. Yeah, once you hit 10th line, 11th line, 14th line, he's still coming. He's driving in his brand new Dodge Caravan, carries his family around in, will sell your home. That's what I'm looking for, an easy ride with Bastion and Ferguson. Look them up, he's gonna sell you quick and easy. Nick Dasovich, he's with us today. Now, this just sparked into my head right now, so this is this is off the cuff. Steve has an issue in his house with a couch, and I'm going to ask you this couch question, Nick. If you order a couch, it takes nine weeks to get to your house. It gets there. The movers put it in, leave, all good. It's the wrong color. Do you put up a stink and get and sort it out? Or you just be like, this is the color of my couch. Nine months, Mark. It was nine months. Nine months. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Yeah. You know what? I'm, I might turn my head on the situation, but my wife wouldn't manage it. It would, it wouldn't fly. It depends what it was, right? If it was the depends on the color. It was okay. Nick, here's the deal. This is like now personal helpline for me. (laughs) She wanted beige. And it was gray and the walls are beige. I, I just assumed as a male, gray is pretty neutral and goes with everything. This was a controversy for us. Yeah, I, I could see it. Yeah, right. I, I've, I've been there. I've, been right. there. I've, I've felt your pain before. So, all right, I'll call you off offline and we'll talk more about this. <laughs> no problem. Just stay, <laughs> stay away from ledges for the next few weeks. It'll be fine. <laughs> So that voice you hear, that's Nick Dasovich. Uh, We all know Nick Dasovich, if you're listening to this podcast, 63 caps for Canada, played professionally in North America and Europe for over 15 years. 
And since retiring, he's been a manager, coach, assistant coach, uh, academy director for over 18 years with uh, TFC, the Earthquakes, the U20 Canadian national team, among a bunch of others. And you're currently the head coach. Now, I don't know if it's, is it the U19 or the U23 or a mixture of both? No, it was, it's the U19 now. Um, since uh, when the pandemic hit and then when we kind of got through different variations of how to restructure the organization, uh, Vanny Sartini, who became the, he was assistant coach to Marta Santos and Phil Santos. He was one of the staff members. He dropped down into what he calls a role of head of methodology. So he's one of those coaches that worked uh, in Corvacciano in Italy. He worked at the U.S. Federation. He's the one that designs programs for coaching education. Wow. Um, and being an Italian, they're very astute in the, in the tactical part of, of the game. So he's come down to the academy to basically coach the coaches. On top of that, to augment his, you know, his job situation, they've given him the U23 team because of the connection with Mark, and they dropped me. So everybody kind of dropped down one pillar in the academy, per se. Um, so I've, I've worked at U19s, but we do work hand-in-hand hand quite quite regularly, myself and Vanny, uh, which is great. You know, even at my ripe old age of 50-plus, um, you can never stop learning. Um, and it's been uh, – Vanny's been a wealth of knowledge. Uh, really interesting. You know, you realize – I think, I don't know who said it, it might have been Yogi Berra, one of those guys that you don't realize how much you don't know about your sport until you get out of your sport in terms of playing. Huh. And I think that in the coaching realm, you kind of think you know it when you've played and then and, and, and you just think, wow, it's, I've got a lot to learn here. So uh, I haven't stopped learning since day one and I continue to learn, which is which is part of the, you know, the beauty. And the other part is coaching 18-year-olds today is different than when I was 18 years old. Yeah. Uh, and as coaches, if we don't, you know, I, I talk to some coaches, well, they have to do this. No, no, we have to adapt. It's we have to adapt the, you know, the coaches because it's different. And uh, for better, for worse, whatever you think it is, we still have to. So anyway, it's, it's been a really good experience and uh, it, it continues. That's so it's awesome. been great. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, speaking of learning, um, you've got, if I'm not mistaken, you've got a UEFA Pro, correct? Correct. Yeah. So they don't, I mean, for those who don't know, a UEFA Pro license is, the same license that Mourinho has and Guardiola has, like that's the highest level of coaching license you can get on the face of the earth. Um, so with that said, we've spoken quite a bit about um, Carmelina Moscato and, and the, the women that have had to leave the country because so with all that said, UEFA pro, do you believe in any form or way that you being Canadian has held you back in your coaching career? Um, I, I don't think being Canadian, uh, I think, you know, there, there's some incredible women. Uh, you mentioned it. The only problem with the women's job, if, if they're not going to be allowed to come into the men's job, but they haven't given, given the opportunity, uh, you know, and if I had a manager's job in, in, in the next job, I would, and, and that person was the correct person, it would make no difference, male or female. I, I had a company of my own where I worked uh, on individual development and, and mentoring uh, young players on top of coaches. And my partner was Andrea Neal. Mm. Uh, Andrea Neal is an incredible woman. She's uh, her understanding of the game, her, the way she can analyze the game. She was like one of the top I've been with. So if I had an opportunity to work with her, I wouldn't even hesitate. And, you know, being yeah. a woman makes no difference. Mm. Um, so I think with, I think with, in the women's game here, how many opportunities are there for women to get a job? Like how many jobs are there? That's the problem. It's not about being a Canadian. It's about the, the it's about the issue of, of, of there's just not a lot of opportunities. Now, you have to do you have to leave. Um, you know, I, I think that 
like I, you know, the pro license is a really interesting one for me. I felt that when I got the pro license, it actually hindered me in Canada. It was actually worked against me because there weren't a lot of professional jobs. Uh, so the next route is to go below that, which I never was afraid of coaching in, in the local areas, but to try to get a technical director's job. Um, and it, it's, you know, in, in, in a club, it was kind of like, no, no we, we don't want you around. Like, you know, you have this pro license and it almost like was it was, uh, you know, it was almost like it worked against you per se. Huh. Um, but in, in saying that, I mean, I remember when I came back from San Jose and then I decided to look, I'm staying in Vancouver. I'm not going anywhere. I've been traveling, you know, my kids had enough. And it's like, you know, the phone rings. I got two opportunities to go back and the MLS right away after San Jose. Wow. Uh, and then I was like with the kids, like, hey, we're going to move. They're like, no, man, we're done. Like, we can't do this. So I decided to just do the, the, the dad thing. It's like, I'll give you a five-year plan and I'm staying home until you guys graduate, right? Which has come now. Um, but you know, in, in, in saying that it was, it was just a, um, it's, it's, it's a nonstop roller coaster ride of, of, of trying to get a job. Um, but you know, I put my, when I came back to Vancouver, I put my name in the hat for 10 local jobs, local jobs in Vancouver. And these weren't jobs that I tried to call somebody for, Hey, listen, such and such in job, but can you push them aside? These were jobs that were available. So it wasn't like I was trying to pull a yeah. fast one. Out of 10 local jobs, I got two callbacks out of 10. That I sent in resumes and I got one, I got one interview. Uh, and that, but that's the reality of the, of the, of the environment. And I didn't take it personally. It, mm-hmm. You just continue to grind and you don't say that, why not me? Why me? Because as much as I could say that, I could say how many people would have loved to walk in my shoes and work, you know, work with the national teams and sure. MLS. So I feel very, very fortunate um, that I've had the opportunity to do things, um, you know, albeit, you know, not the way maybe you wanted to sometimes, but in general, it was, it's a great life experience. And Hey, listen, it hasn't stopped it. It continues. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the pro I did, and I did funny enough, you mentioned, I did work with Mourinho, like he was in my B license together. So oh, we actually really? were partners, right? So no. I've been around guys like that and you see, you know, you talk to Mourinho in the B license and three years later, you're watching telly and there he is coaching Porto to the Champions yeah. League. Um, uh, wow. But those, those coaches, those coaches like Mourinho was a special case because I remember talking to him and says, yeah, but while you're playing in, say, in Scotland, uh, while you're playing and, and, and trying to figure out the game, I'm actually coaching. So mm-hmm. that's what coaches don't realize. I'm, I'm at a stage now, I think, at my age where Mourinho was probably when he was 35, meaning that he had had the 15 years of coaching education, getting his feet wet, yeah. uh, where players that play that finish at 35, let's say, they're probably getting to really good age around 50-ish because they've had the 15 years experience. Yeah. And then, you know, the other part of it is there's some coaches that, that coach that gets, um, how would you say, that get the rub of the green grass where they all of a sudden they get handed a team of superstars and they go and win yeah. tournaments and, and yeah. championships. And so there's a bit of everything in there. But again, just I don't think there's any right or wrong way of coaching. You know, it's yeah. you yeah. make the best what you got. So there's a short answer. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. That's a program. Have a great day, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's really, that was super insightful. I've never even considered that about, uh, yeah. about like where your stages are of coaching in terms of players. That That's, that's fantastic. So I'm going to keep on the, uh, the Whitecaps uh, kind of model situation here. Cause we, Steve and I both know Mark and he's very, um, when he was here at the Fury, mm-hmm. um, he's very into his, like a model of play for kind of things. So I'm wondering from the first team to the U23 team to your team at the U19s, are you all following the same model of play, the same game model, the same type of formation, the same press? Are you de- top down all the way through teaching the players that? No, no. And that's, and that's actually, I think that's a great way to go. Uh, 
we did speak about it when Mark came in and I was a 23 coach. We tried, it was a little different with the U23 and the first team. There is that connection. Like we had guys yeah. move up and down yeah. and it, it wouldn't make sense for, let's say left back coming up to Mark that we, from our team, it also doesn't know which way to press, where to, you know, where, where to open up in certain situations of, of, of the game phase. Um, but I think right now uh, the understanding with Mark and Vanny coming down towards us, it's like, look, everybody's on their own. You can do what you want, but, what they truly believe in is is not is a model of play, but also principles of play. Like you know, you, you can play any system, any shape, mm -hmm. as long as your principles remain the same. And and we do a lot of work on that part of the of the process. We do a lot of internal discussions, do a lot of exercises. You know, we want to call them homework assignments. You know, whatever. Um, but we do do a lot of. Uh, you know, things like where we write down our principles and the coaches will question us, well, why are you playing this way when you're actually saying on your paper and your document that you're playing this way? So it's it's helped educate all the coaches and it gives them a, a really true, fine, clear meaning of what they want to represent. And it, it makes you a better coach. Um, but yeah, in terms of, I mean, Mark and Philip are, are, are very impressive of how they organize their structures or sessions. I, I Mark and me work together. So Mark, Philip and me work together Um within the U20 national team when I was a head coach, I brought right. Philip in and, you know, he was amazing to have him beside me, um, you know, a wealth of knowledge. The one thing those two do as well, I don't know if people realize, is their, their work rate and how much hours they put into the game is, is, is astronomical. It truly is. Yeah. Um, and, and they've gotten to a certain stage in their career because of that. It's not just a fluke. This is because yeah. they've done great work. Um, you know, and, and, you know, they've had a few, let's a few up and down seasons, but I, I got a good feeling about this year for them. And I'm, and I'm glad they have the chance to continue to work because I've learned a lot from those guys. Um, you know, they're true to the game. They, they work so hard. They, you know, they're where they're, they, they, they never stop working. So, um, yeah, but there's a good energy between the, the club in general, but there's nothing like Mark comes in and he's going to play three, five, two. We all have to play three times. It doesn't, have, it doesn't exist. It just, you know, we need to have players that are intelligent and, and can deal with different situations. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. A, a, a question born out of your answer here. If Mark and Philip were both behind a door that you couldn't see them, could you, and they were both talking, could you tell them apart? <laughs> I think I could. Yeah, I you could. could? Okay. Like, I've been around them enough that I could, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's a good question, though. I never thought of that. <laughs> it's a very good one, Mark. I was thinking, like, I don't, I, didn't, I wasn't around them like Nick. I don't know if I could do. I think Mark's maybe a tad quieter or gentler, let's say. Yeah, yeah. On the pitch, you're quite. They're quite similar. Yeah, they have that really, really booming voice, uh, which is good. It's 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 a good way to good way to coach. But how the heck did you get that question? How was that born out of what I said? That's what <laughs> I want to know. Just yeah. just talking about both of them and how they're you know, and then I just thought to myself. I, you have to understand, Nick. I have the mind of like a seven-year-old. Yes. Oh, wait. So I just I'm eight. Yeah. There what you I go. saw, what I saw, were two doors with question marks on them. Yeah. And and then just saying, "Hi, help me," and then "Hi, help me," and then you had to pick who they were. I don't Actually, know. Actually, a question born out of that question mark. <laughs> wow. I read in a five-second uh, Wikipedia search on you, uh, Nick. I don't know if you've seen this on your Wikipedia page. It says like I think it's like the first line of your coaching piece of the profile. Yeah. Known for his vocal antics on the sideline. Did you know that that's there? Wow. I did. And that Wikipedia page is so incorrect, too. I don't know who's put it up there. Like, the, my, my, the, well, particularly early days, like the way that the structures of the yeah. teams, they, they missed a few teams out. They got the wrong side. I don't even bother with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think that that was born from the um, U23 qualifications uh, we played in the, in the CONCAF championships. And we ended up 
going to the semifinals. Yeah. And I had, and we talked about it. I had, that was in 2000 and geez, I don't know that 2007 or eight or somewhere yeah. on it. And I had just finished playing probably two, three years prior to that. So yeah. I still had that, yeah, that player. player mentality, yeah. you know, so you kick every ball and, and, mm-hmm. and I remember that because I was sent a video of the game from CONCACAF saying, can you please look at yourself and your antics on the sideline? It's really? becoming a little bit embarrassing. So I actually watched the game and, and they were, they were spot on. Really? Uh, they were spot on. Yeah. And I actually That's apologized, amazing. apologized to the, the fourth official happened to be a lady at the time that I was, yeah. my, my language a little bit vulgar to say the least. Um, and it actually taught me a lesson. It taught me to, it taught me two things. One is, you know, uh, my background is Eastern European creation and we have this yeah. blood, this creation blood on us that when it, when it, when it goes red, you're in trouble. Like you just, you can't control it. Um, but I've learned to control it. The other one is you learn to, you learn to, to res- respect everything around the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other one is when, when you're going absolutely mental on the sideline, your players look over and it's like, I guess that's an indication for us to go mental. Um, but then, but they have to, you know, the thing is, though, it's a great question because what do you do? And like, if you're a coach, we did our pro license, we did an analogy of analysts, but uh, uh, we analyzed coaches. I remember David Moyes was there and these different guys we talked to and they get up, they get up off the sideline and they start to talk to the team. Well, no one hears you with 40,000 people. Yeah, exactly. And I can guarantee that to you. Like, you know, I played in venues where you don't, you scream at a guy, he doesn't hear you 10 yards away. And the coaches say, well, we do it because it resonates with the players that see us for fighting you know, we're with them on the touchline. The other side of it is if you sit on the bench and you don't do anything like Arsene Wenger per se, that kind of really calm. Most of the punters or the, the supporters will go, he doesn't know what he's doing, that guy. He can't coach. Yeah. Well, no, it's not about the coaches done from Monday to Friday to Saturday's game. And then, then if you have the, the ones where you're always up on your feet, then the, sometimes the manager or the owners are going, ah, oh, look, I'm coaching. So it's, it depends who your boss is. It yeah. depends who yeah. your players are. It depends what venue you're in. If they can hear you, they can't hear you. Um, so there's it, but the, what I learned through my whole experience was there's only one way to do things and that's your own way. Yeah. You know, don't, yeah. don't mimic somebody. Don't watch you guys interviews. Don't try to, don't try to act like a guy on the sideline. Just you are who you are. And that's why I'll always have that fiery nature as a Croat. I, I, I'll never lose it. That Eastern European thing. And, and I'm good with that. You know, just, you learn how to control it, you know, particularly now when you work with younger kids, cause you say the wrong thing to a kid and you can shatter it. Yeah, it's yeah. truly can, right? So I'm gonna Mark, yeah. I want to step in. I'm gonna take over the interview from you here because now I got okay. I've got a great question. First of all, great answer. I I I'm not at the level of you are as a coach, but I remember when I stopped playing to coach, it was the same. Like I was running down the sideline and just like <laughs> I couldn't get it out of me. And and it, it takes a while. And I so I totally get that answer. And I think it's a great point. I loved how you paralleled like how it looks to a, a fan of like Wenger sitting on his butt and someone else just screaming. It doesn't mean one or the other is doing a better job. It's totally down to you and, and what you did during the week. Anyways, just, I thought it was a fantastic gold star for me for that answer is brilliant. I, I need to get into the Croatian thing because one thing I'm really interested in learning about from you, and I love that you're in this structure with the white caps and the Academy system. And I think, and you can correct me, you were in uh, Dinamo Zagreb or Croatia Zagreb three or four years maybe four years i think in the academy system anyways that's that's from a rudimentary search what was it like there i'm fascinated by the croatian model i played in a croatian club with friends and all that kind of stuff and i'm desperate to get my hands on this coaching book they have right now that's like their pathway like for a nation like that obviously there's the passion can you explain what it's like at a club like that like what sets it apart like how are they so good at producing these players yeah, it's, so, I mean, I'll give you a quick little background. I wasn't there for four years at Dinamo, and I okay. get it. So I actually went there in my last year of the academy. Okay. 
right on that cusp of going academy to the to what they call the reserve team at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I ended up spending four years in the country, but only only um, about a year and a half at Dinamo Zagreb. Yeah. And then the rest of the time was in a second division, te- third division team and a second division team to get okay. my feet, you know, you know, to get my affirmation. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but the Dinamo, so people talk about the Dinamo model and I was just there last 2019 or was it 2019 with my kid? Cause my kid went there to train with the team. Um, so we were there, I've been there to the last two years. Um, and people say, what's, what's the, um, like, what's the, the, the secret about the creation methodology or what is it? The one thing about Dinamo Zaga people understand is they, they there's no borders. They can go, they get a call from an agent who's down five hours away in a small village. Where, hey, there's this kid here. And they just go bring him up. Yeah. So what they do have, they have the ability to bring all the best kids in. Right. So then, you know, it's again, if you have the best kids, chances are you're going to be probably the best team. Yeah. Chances are not a hundred percent, but it's they're pretty funneling good. them in there. Like they, they're funneling the top to the top. No, hundred no, percent. Yeah, okay. hundred percent. Um, and then, the other the interesting part is, you know, their training methodology. And I know Romeo Yozek, and he's the one that's got this book out, I think. Um, it's yes. a book that I think I actually might have at home. I actually have a copy of it. Wow. Um, and I know Romeo from when he was at Dinamo Zagreb, and I, when I went to my UFA studies over there, so I know him quite well, and we talked about things. And, you know, obviously, it's a very technical uh, country in terms of their ability. Um, but one thing, one, one thing that we – that, that people forget about the Croats is, and, and unfortunately I left in 1991, was it? Or 91 because of the war. Mm-hmm. I had to leave the country, but yeah. you know, they're, the, the one thing about Croats is they're, they're and like any of their, and the Southern one, they're fighters, right? And people, people forget when you go on a field and play against any Croatian team, you're, you're in for battle. Like that's, that's the one innate thing that they have is they have this ability to fight and, 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 you know, and to, you know, yeah, yeah you're going to come after, I'm going to come after you kind of thing. So, there's that real true ability of that, of that, of that warriorship where they want to go and win every game. Hmm. Um, but like I was there, I was there for 10 days or I was there a few, a few years ago, my kid trained there, for instance, and they were with the, the under 19 team at the time. They did 10 training sessions in a row, 10 days, hmm. no days off. Um, no, they're talking about uh, loading. Yeah. You know, they talk about the principles of how much effort they did 10 straight days and the 10th day was a full 90 minute game Jeez. training was in that was in august uh yeah. the temperature was every day above 30 uh it was in the afternoon i think at like uh two o'clock training sessions in the heat of the day and they were going full 120 minute sessions Jeez. so what's right what's wrong i know there's a whole bunch of different you know there's yeah. the sports science parts you have to be careful which way you go but sure. um you know and i remember when i trained there man we trained we trained like we trained like dogs man like they they worked us heavy like wow. really heavy you know, I remember I came there as a six foot one and a half center back, center midfielder to Dinamo. Yeah. And I was 170 pounds, six. And they said I was fat, meaning that my body shape is like, you still have this skinny fat man syndrome, they call it. Right. Uh, I got down to after three wow. months at Dinamo, I was six foot one and a half and 162 pounds. Jeez. And I tell you what, though you could not like you could not i was a brick wall like and you know and it's funny they taught me how to i I learned how to play football in canada under a lot of croatian coaches and then obviously then when i got a little bit higher level the english coaches who taught some different but when i went to croatia and they taught me how to fight like it was literally i I became a man um and some of the stuff you went through as a player and some of the stories it's it's you learn things very quickly can I jump in and ask like another part to that? I, I, I could see it and I, I don't want to sit here like I'm Mr. Croatia with you, but I, I've, I've known enough that I see it and you see it in the way they play. You for sure see it in those teams and stuff like even a Luka Modric is a genius, but 
like the guy battles he's playing center mid and he's five foot one or whatever anyway what the, the other aspect of that though is they are like dogs no question but their technique is is superb is that just a matter of the hours they put in yeah it's it's a i remember talk i listened to uh, bbc once and billich was on the program and he mm. was doing a commentary for the 2018 world cup um and they're talking about what's what makes a create and he still said that still today in croatia people play on the streets yeah um and that's a big difference i think and when i was back there you know they have these little playgrounds with the with the they're called the handball nets whatever and yeah. they're playing five aside uh they're playing the parks people and i mean it, it's it's a global thing in terms of the the iPhones and the iPads and all that stuff and people on, on, on their, on their tablets. Um, but in general, the, the people there in general, it's still a culture of playing. Um, they play, they play, they just play games. They, they yeah. enjoy it. It's their culture. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a big part that people miss out on is um, there's a lot of those non coaching moments for those kids where they can just be in the park and do stupid things. And, you know, we talk about, hey, you know, don't take six touches, do it in two. Well, no, I want to do six touches. So, or whatever it is, right? It's yep. it's, it's probably the hardest thing to teach a kid is be creative, be imaginative, yeah. say, get, you got two touches. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you almost kill the spirit of the kids sometimes, right? So, yeah, um, that's tough a great, one. Great that's point. funny. That's funny that you say that. And what an amazing point, because we've talked to people from the UK and people from all over, the, and they're saying the trend is, is nobody's playing on the street or at the park anymore because they're lowering that you're playing, you're signing now at U3, U3 and yeah. U4 and some youth clubs. It's madness instead of getting, like you said, that time, uh, that time on the street. And if, I mean, it's dying in the UK, it's dying in Scotland. They're, they're, everybody's saying that you're not seeing these kids on the street. There's no more broken windows. And, yeah. uh, and that's a problem. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to transition that back over to Canadian Whitecaps um, kids that, that you're, coaching now 17 18 19 um when they're that age you can more or less tell are they going to play in the first team essentially i'm, I'm going to just speak for that you still have some room uh, but is there an exit strategy for these kids because that's the university age right that's yeah. the age where it's like do you keep them an extra two years or do you is there like some sort of agreement with schools around you or things that like pathways where you'd be like you know jim you know sorry man but we got columbia here we got you know whatever is there is there like an exit strategy for these kids yeah there definitely is and, and first thing is you don't know at 18 if they're gonna make it not all the time it's i mean again uh, people talk about um, you know development and uh, let's face it if developing was that simple yeah. Um, Real Madrid and Barcelona would not be buying their players. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's the reality. Yeah. Um, uh, so I and I try to and I I know I was I was 18 years old working construction in Vancouver. Okay, with my dad waking up at 5:30, going to the construction site and banging a hammer and digging a ditch at 18. At 19 and a half, I or 20 years old. Sorry, 20. 19 to 20, maybe 20 or 20 and a half years old. I had a four-year contract that Matt didn't was not. So you're telling an 18 year old construction worker from Vancouver, he's not going to play pro. Well, yeah. I, I just proved the other side of it. Yeah. So yeah. there's no, and then the other side of it is you got the kid that goes in the academy, at, as you said, U3, U4, U5. And then at U15, he absolutely hates the game. Exactly. He's been pummeled to death. Exactly. Um, and he quits. So, yeah. So anyway, going back to the exit strategy, what we do is we have, we bring our the, the players that we believe have a, have a chance and to grow into becoming either professional. 
Um, and what we do is we keep them in our, in, our, in our system. And then we get to a point where when they get to a certain age, we're like, okay, look, we, we believe that you're trending in this direction, which is more or less school. Uh, go to NCAA. We have a recruitment officer here that gets NCAA schools plus Canadian colleges. Uh, and we do continue. We, you know, I think this year we've got, you know, we've got guys all over the States. Um, and one thing that players have to remember is after four years of education, um, you know, you can still go back to the MLS and still play, still play pro, but with a yeah. degree in your back pocket. So it's actually not a bad thing. It's actually an incredible thing if you can achieve that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we definitely have it. We're, and we definitely understand there's also the, there's, we also have the gap year, which we do think that certain times there's certain individuals, late bloomers, Hey, take a year off school. Um, you know, do some extra studies if you want, maybe even get a part-time job, stay with us. And then let's see what happens after that year, because you actually might physically mature where all of a sudden it's like, wow, you've taken a huge step or you've actually confirmed what we thought, which you're not quite ready to go this route. And you might never be, but let's go this route. Right. You know, I remember I was coaching San Jose and as a player on the team, I won't mention his name, but it's, which isn't important, but we're standing there and he's about 30 years old at the time, you know, driving a, you know, driving a kind of, you know, beat up car and hanging out and, you know, and I looked at him one day, I go, man, you know, you don't, I just, I got to be quite friendly with him. I said, you're not really, you're not really playing here. You're not even like, you're making like not a lot of money living in a really expensive city. And he kind of looked at me and goes, do you know where I graduated from? I said, no, I'm a Harvard grad. I got, I got jobs. I'm like, oh boy. I said, and it dawned on me like going, man, like this, wow. this kid's, this kid's got it. He's got it right. Um, Claudia Reina, one of the, arguably one of the best ever uh, U.S. national team players. I think he went to Virginia University. Yeah. Uh, I played against him at Rangers when he was Rangers when I was at St. Johnston. So I played in the premiership, played at Dortmund, you know, his career and he finished his degree in school. So I have a lot of respect for guys that go that route. I truly yeah. do. I never did it. I wasn't one for school. Um, but the guys that do that, my hat's off them. It yeah. truly is an amazing achievement, uh, to be able to go to school and become a professional footballer. Yeah. Is, um, is, like for I know you got the school route now and and they can re and you know they can get drafted and that kind of thing but it's not part of Vancouver at that point but what about the CPL can that help Vancouver in a way of now if this kid doesn't want the school route now you can hang on to him longer and loan him to the CPL or, or that kind of thing like is the CPL yeah, I think I don't think we can loan players in a so let's let's say there's five kids we think these kids got a chance if we want to loan them we have to sign them and there's only so many spots. And then, you know, there's now the MLS. And I know when I was working at TFC, you mentioned in 2008, 9, 10, the minimum salary was $12,500 a year. You know, it was almost comical. Um, where now I think it's, I don't even know, 65, 70,000 or 50, whatever the heck, 60 grand. So that's 60,000 US. So if you go on a women sign four guys at 60 grand, like that's, that's a good MLS player at yeah. 200 and whatever grand. So um, that's not an option right now in that sense. But yeah. if you're asking me in, in, in an ideal world, absolutely. But the other side of it is I don't know where the CPL and the, and the MLS stand in terms of who believes they're at what stage, you know, you know, MLS or CPL don't want to be seen as a second division. So there's always different uh, internal okay. issues, but for me in terms of a, uh, the why it's why football works so well in Europe is there's there's layers. Yes. Right. There's layers. And that's why when I went to Dinamo Zagreb on trial, I went there and after about you know a week they said, look, you're a decent player. We like what you see, but you're not ready to play for the first team. Stick around for the next few months. I stuck around. It's like, look, here's the plan. Go play for this sister club, which is it's 60 kilometers away. So it gets you away from the city, gets you to live on your own, etc. Cetera, et cetera. And and you're gonna play in its third division. Perfect. 
And then once you bounce from third division, now I pop up to second division. And then when you're ready to go, you go first division, et cetera. And that's, that's the, that's the route. We don't have that route in yeah. North America. Uh, I, well, they do in the U S with the USL one, USL two, or whatever it is, USL one, yeah. um, which does help. Um, but we don't have that yet in Canada and hopefully we'll grow into that, you know, mm-hmm. hopefully. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to flip to where you ended up at some point, St. Johnson. Did you watch the cup final a couple of weeks back? Oh yes, I did. I was up at 6 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That That's a, yeah. that's a big one. Uh, do you, I know um, there's another Canadian there. Well, yeah. Uh, Witherspoon. Do you think, David, yeah. yeah. Do you think he, he needs to be more involved in the national team? You, Cause I know he's, his name is always there, but I never really see him there. And I'm like, mm. if you're playing on a cup winning side in Scotland, you should be playing. No. Well, it's funny. I, I, I mean, I met David long a few years ago when I was in Scotland during some kind of ceremony thing. I flew out there. Um, he, you know, he's a kid that, that joined the team. I think I can't remember how many years ago. I remember his first cap, if I'm not mistaken, was against New Zealand mm-hmm. in Spain or somewhere they were. I'm not sure what the tournament what, or the, the games were, you know, and I, and I was, he's actually a player that I've watched now over the last few years and he's grown as a player, you know, that he's had some ups and downs, but right now he's in a really good moment. The only problem with David is he's probably coming to one of our most talented ever groups of yeah. players. Yeah. Good point. And I, and I actually said that if he played during my time, he probably would have had more caps to his name right now. And that's no disrespect. I thought we had a really good generation as well. Very good generation. We just didn't have it. We didn't have a big generation, but we had a good generation, I think. And I followed on the footsteps of the 86 World Cup team kind of thing that just passed that, you know, 91. So we had that group of your Dale Mitchells, Carl Valentine's, Mike Sweeney's just leaving that just about retirement age and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, yeah. you know, then our group took over, you know, Pesciolito and Corazon and Samuel and yeah. Bunbury and, uh, you know, Pesciolito and then the forest, the name goes on and on. <laughs> but this to me right now is a, um, this to me is, 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 is probably the deepest squad we've ever had, you know, um, yeah. And, uh, and particularly in the attacking part where David plays, right? Yeah. So yeah. that to him, like if David's a center back playing in Scotland, he's probably got 10, 15 caps to his name right now. Yeah, I'd say easy. Uh, and that's, that's, that's an issue. It's got nothing to do with his, his ability, uh, what he's been doing in Scotland. Um, it's just, it's just a fact that he's in a, you know, John Herman's got a very talented group in, yeah. uh, in, in behind him. So it's, un- it's unfortunate for David, but fortunate for us as a country that, uh, you know, it's, the academy structure players going abroad players there's local academies so not mls academies that are doing a great job in ontario that have produced a bunch of players for the national teams um so again there's there's you know it, it's becoming a lot better right and it doesn't who cares who produces them as long as we're producing players that's, that's right point. exactly that's right. so here's a we're gonna move a little quicker now with some rapid fire hold on mark i gotta ask because he's he was at st johnson my family's scottish and like they're all Celtic daft and all the rest of it. And funny enough, my father was a Partick Thistle fan. I, I tend to lean to that. I like that. That's like the third team there. Yeah. My question is like, we haven't actually talked to someone in the Scottish league. And I want to know from a player's perspective, how daunting is the Celtic Rangers thing? Like you came runner up in the league once with St. Johnson and then you, well, you scored in the league cup final and you guys, uh, you know, kept it tight and almost knocked out Rangers. What's that like? Is that like winning a trophy, both those instances in a, in a strange way? And, and how is that as a player, knowing like there's a big gulf in finances there? Well, we, we finished third the one year when I, we, when I was there. And we, basically, the we finished third, but we basically said we won the championship. 
Yeah. Like Rangers and Celtic, there, there was like, there was three certainties in Scotland, you know, death taxes and either Celtic Rangers going to win the league. Yeah. That was a certain. Now, obviously changed when, when Rangers got knocked out because of financial issues. Yeah. Um, but no, it was actually playing against Celtic and Rangers was awesome because you got to play Parkhead or Ibrox. So you knew you were going to face 60 or 50,000 people. Yeah. And just that was a kind of a really cool thing to do. And then I had the opportunity to do that, you know, with the national team playing a bunch of different venues, but yeah. it was, it's just the, the 60,000 at Parkhead were, it's the loudest thing you ever heard. And I remember scoring wow. there to beat them one nil in a midweek under the lights. And it was the quietest 60,000. It, wow. it was almost like it was so awesome. Like, How freaking you know, good did that feel? Yeah, it was, it was just like, it was, it was amazing. And, you know, and that was the year we finished third in the league. So I think we beat okay. Celtic three times that year out of four. Wow. So, and then guys like Larson and Mark Vidica and Paul Lamb, they had a good team. Uh, but Rangers at that time were at a different level. Like they were just, they were a very, very strong team. Yeah. They had like Von Broncos, who was, you know, uh, I, I mean, I can go on. I mean, probably the favorite guy I played against was Gascoigne, though, because we always had, we always had a battle. I was a laugh in the pitch, but, um, wow. but no, it was, it was awesome. It was a really good experience, but the loudness, I never, the one I never experienced tonight just never had a chance with the old firm game like a, a celtic ranger game there, which yeah. i heard our death you know and uh you know i was obviously part of another derby which was red star and dinamo back in the day i didn't play but i was in the stands so i know what that derby feels like and you, you just you, there's nothing in north america that comes close to it Jeez. there truly isn't because there's so much Unfortunately, there's a political part of it, and there's, yep. yeah, there, there's a religious part of it, and it just it goes deep and deep yeah, and deep. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, everybody in this, I, I appreciate when you say I support politics. This looks like when people ask me, Do you, are you Celtic or Rangers? I don't care about either one. It's I'm a St. John's support. I played from it's it. Or everybody else supports their the Celtic or Rangers, and then they support a second team. Right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, that's what I like about the intimacy. If you pick one of the smaller ones, you know. So yeah, uh, but yeah, it's it was it was a fun it was a fun place to be for football for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, I bet. I bet. So we're gonna do this prediction time with uh, Nick Dasovich. Oh, does Canada qualify for the Olympics in the next uh, week and a half? You know what? I've been looking over right now. The people think their draw is pretty easy. They have a tough draw. Uh, and the thing about those, I'm not mistaken, two teams go in, right? So even if they finish one or two, they got to still cross over. And there's a reason why Mexico and maybe U.S. Yeah. go on the one side. Um, we've seen those little hot and cold balls before, right? When the draws come out. So um, <laughs> yeah. uh, I actually still think they've got a really good chance to qualify. I would say, yeah, I don't know if they're going to win it, but I think they got a chance to qualify. Does uh, So who wins the Gold Cup this summer and what does Canada place? Yeah, see, these questions are asked without knowing what players are going to be uh, available, right? Like, if, if you got Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David and all our European guys come back in, but if you're Bayern Munich, you're going Gold Cup. Alfonso, yeah. no, 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 no. You're going to stay here. So I think with with Canada, with the full team, they've got a really good chance of winning the Gold Cup. They truly do. They truly do, yeah. Does Canada qualify for the next World Cup? 2022? I think they'll qualify in 2026. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm gonna, you know what? Again, it, it depends what squad they get. Yeah. You know, yeah. if they get a full team, they're they're in it for a, they're the real deal right now. They truly yeah. are. Uh, yeah, you know, and I think they've got a really good chance, and they've got a keeper in Boran, and who's you know playing in Red Star and Player of the Year again. And and your keeper, if he can steal you a few games, that's important. We've got a really good one now. You know, with yeah. Milan there. So yeah, that's true. Yeah. You've played for two clubs that have. Uh, had a rebrand the 86ers to white caps and the impact. What do you think of the new impact name? Uh, you know, I'll be, it kills me a bit. Um, yeah. It does. It, yeah. It's uh, I mean, I'm a, I, I grew up, I was the first 
you know, we were, our generation was the first impact guys in 1893. Yeah. Um, then we won it in 94 as an impact team. And yeah, you know, the logo, when I look back at that logo, it wasn't great the first year, but it was still the name. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's, 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 that's the difference between football in, in Europe and, yeah. and sports in North America. Like they would yeah. never think of rebranding. No, you've got some you know, history it, now. It just doesn't happen. And I think, uh, you know, the, I remember doing my pro license and, and Alex Ferguson said to us when we were down in Manchester, we had a meeting with him, the group, because there's two things a man can't change in his life. One is his walk and the other is his football club. <laughs> um, and, and I think with the, when they start to change names around, you almost lose that identity with the football club. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's I'm, I, in a sense, I'm glad. And personally, I grew up with the Whitecaps as a young kid here in the 70s. And then going back, the Whitecaps meant a lot to me as an individual because I used to, I grew up with that club. That was my club. Yeah. Um, and when I look at it, okay, the Lost 86 your name came back maybe somebody that was an 86 or fan might feel the same way i'm for maybe they're hoping yeah. one day it goes back to 86 or so but yeah. i think i think keeping the original name and the original i just colors okay you can change and play a little bit with the third jersey but yeah. i still yeah. think colors and names are just it's yeah. it's what you're brought up on white caps feels like you're like almost going back to your roots where you know like it is 100 percent. you know it is i mean if are you wearing a shirt a old white cap shirt there yeah yeah so that's the first shirt that i had when i, I came know. back um, but I remember, I remember the, my first game. I came back to Portland. We played, and I signed. And I was we were playing a game in Portland. Unbeknown to me, they played on turf. So I came down with my six studs. Oh my I was Scot- oh my I came back from Scotland. <laughs> so I had to play on a turf with six studs. Oh, um, and the jersey I had on my back was that jersey, but the name on the back was Fonseca because I hadn't got my jersey ready yet. So Tony Fonseca was our coach, and he let oh, me wear his shirt. So I played mm-hmm. with a Fonseca jersey with studs. So that was my introduction back to North American football. That's hilarious. So, yeah. We just interviewed Tony like three days ago. Yeah, he's, nice, a, he's nice. hilarious. What a yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a great. What a, he's got some fantastic stories. Oh, man, big time. He's yeah. something else. Like I obviously you know of him, and until you talk in this setting, it was like that guy blew me away. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's got some crazy stories, and mm. some crazy stories I'm sure he didn't tell you that I've I've been privy to, and I'm telling you, man, <laughs> he's lived a crazy life too. So yeah, yeah. Steve, how how much do you want to say that you gave me this jersey, so you <laughs> wanted some credit? No, you know what I want to do? I want to know if uh, if Nick knows who number twenty five was. Yeah, who's number twenty five? I, can't I know it wasn't Jason Jordan. Jordan was 26, I think. I'm going to say, is that Andrew Veers? No. The best part is you don't know, do you, Mark? I'm going to, we talked about this before you came on. We uh, looked it up and then we forgot. So now I'm going to look it up and I'm going to have to tell ever. you. Actually, I don't know who 25 was. I really don't. Yeah, I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up. I was 24 I'm... when I first came back. Oh, wow. For, the, for year one, I was 20. And then I, I don't remember. We'll figure it out. It'll, we're we're gonna we'll make it a out. giveaway, Mark. Give away your jersey. Anybody who knows who 25 was. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Who could punt the ball further? Craig Forrest or Onstat? Oh, boy. I'm going to say uh, Onstat, although out of the, the other third one that could punt it more than probably the players was Paul Dolan. Oh, Paul oh, Dolan. Paul Dolan. He, first of all, he hated, he hated playing goal. So whenever we had a game, it, like, can I play out? He didn't he oh, want to play out. Um, if Paul was, if Paul grew up in today's environment where keepers play with their feet, he'd be really at the top level. Um, and then again, God bless Craig is still a great friend of mine and, uh, one, uh, probably our best ever goalkeeper, but 
not great feet. So he would have probably died during this sort of new wave of football. <laughs> Listen, he's six foot five. He's got size eight and a half shoes. Something's wrong, man. <laughs> Something's wrong. So, um, no, but I tell you what, he was for me, the best keeper I've ever been around in my life. That, yeah, that guy was incredible. He's a beast. Absolute beast. Yeah. Who was faster? Corazine or DeVos? Oh my God. <laughs> Corazine, <laughs> the Voss, or that turtle that that beat the rabbit, right? Um, <laughs> oh my God! Great answer so far, man. Holy cow! That's, I mean, you could say in a hundred meter race, you can hit the gun, go, go, probably go for a pint, <laughs> probably a kebab, and still come back maybe in the last ten meters. Those two, I mean, I was slow too, so that, let me take that probably in that race with them. Uh, Over a hundred, I, I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know. I just say Corazon, but 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 not but by like a by fraction. This might be the best question you've ever asked, Mark. Like you genuinely stumped him on that. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, I mean, if you would have said who's quicker, Depeche, Salido, or DeVos, we know the answer. But yeah, 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 those two that's guys. Are, yeah, that's that's a tough one. That's a tough. So one. who would who would then win in a crossbar challenge? You each get ten balls at the top of the eighteen. Who hits the crossbar the most? You or Pesci Salido? Oh. You know what? Because I was a center back, center mid, I'm going to give that to Pesh. Yeah. Although you'll yeah, probably miss it and then go in the back of the net. That's the thing with Pesh. But uh, <laughs> yeah. no, no, uh, I, I would say I would I would say Pesh. I would say Pesh. What's the last soccer book that you read? Oh, well, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know the soccer book I read. Probably um, could be coaching too. Yeah, yeah I, I'm trying to think now because I've just I've just read a few books lately. But what I do is I normally buy a bunch of books and just kind of feed through all different sort of variations of it. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, um, yeah, you stopped me on that one too. The best coach you ever had? The best coach I ever had? Yeah. In what way? <laughs> the the who? Sorry. In what way? Oh, good question. The one that that stuck with you, the first name that popped in your head when I asked that question. So that's yeah. I, I'm gonna say probably um, probably Paul Sturrock. Um, he's the one that I had at St. Johnson for two years. Uh, yeah, you know, and the reason was he's the kind of coach that if you gave Paul um, if you gave Paul a week to prepare his team to play anybody, Barcelona, Real Madrid, the team that I played for. You wouldn't, you might not win, but he'd give you a chance because he was very tactical astute. Um, but probably the other coach that I would say as well was Yossi Kuja, which was a coach that gave me my first contract at Dino Mazaga that believed in me, saw something in me, and that, and he's not here anymore, God rest his soul. But I mean, that, um, you know, probably that's another one, you know. So, yeah. your favorite, uh, your favorite Croatian dish? Oof. Well, that's easy. It's chilape. Chilape, yeah. Yeah, those are the ones, yeah. Yeah. Would I mean, you? there's so many different ones, but I, I go, that's the first one. So I was yeah. back there, like I said, a few summers, but I think I had about a thousand of them. So <laughs> would you ever, this is the last question. Would you ever want to see breakaway penalties back in the MLS? Oh my God. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I remember I took a few of those, what they call those, the, the shootout goals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When I think I scored one and I think I want to hit the corner flag. So I went, I went either way, <laughs> good or bad, but you know what it's again, it was a way for the U S to sell the sport and to sell yeah. it to their fans. And, 
But I think the great part is, you know, the league, the MLS is, let's face it, it's, it's one of the top. Yeah, it's advanced. I don't know. I don't know what you want to call it, being too arrogant for MLS, but for sure top 10 league in the world, I think now. I think maybe it, 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 it could be top five in terms of everything I think outside the game, just yeah. the way you look at the stadiums we're building in here. Uh-huh. You look at Columbus, what they've done in Cincinnati and you look at the money they're spending and they're generating and the interest. And uh, it's, it's, it's really, it's truly amazing. Um, so it's well run, it's very well run yeah. for sure. They learned their it's, lessons it's, from many SL days. They know how to establish themselves. The soccer specific stadiums were like just absolutely brilliant rather than playing at the Pontiac Silverdome and 80,000 and it looks and you get 20 and you look like you have nobody like genius the good stuff by the league anyways yeah I'm an MLS uh you know uh I'm a supporter but a promoter but yeah it's been great all right Mark before I start yeah so (laughs) um yeah so anyway I just wanted to thank you we'll we'll let you get out of here actually you know if you don't mind after we stop recording we got one more thing to ask you but I want to wrap this part of the show up by thanking you for coming on here. Like I know I can't speak for Steve, but I can, we watched you growing up, like playing for Canada. Like you're the, we always say players like you, we've interviewed a few of them. If you played in today's game too, it's just nothing changes. You can say generations are different, but you, the yeah. way you played simple, smart, like just amazing. And it was so fun to watch you playing and, and uh, achieve everything you are and now giving back to the community. And that's what, we love yeah. here with the, the people we interview is you so many of the good people are now back in it, giving back to the, uh, to the young kids. And man, I would have died to be uh, have you in my U18 setup or something, yeah. you know, maybe I wouldn't be eating Doritos every evening and uh, <laughs> losing my life over here, but no, we appreciate you coming in uh, a lot. Yeah. It's man. been a pleasure. Remember the one thing is about that whole, how you play. I learned one thing very quickly when I went to your, you know what you're good at, you know what you're not good at. And then do what you're good at and then try to get better at what you're not good at, but don't try to be somebody you're not. And uh, that, that kind of, I figured out very quickly, um, you know, I was a ball winning center midfielder. And I knew that if I got my ball to number 10 on my team, I got the 10 on the back, but normally meant he was a stud. And I got the ball to most times. He's probably going to get us a victory, which means I get a bonus. I get a little bit more. I have another extra pint in the weekend. That's how things went <laughs> back in the day. Right. So Great that's been a pleasure guys. And yeah. good luck with the show going forward. It's awesome. very much for listening today if you haven't already please subscribe to the podcast and of course leave us a five-star review if you want to get in touch you'll find us on instagram at soccer snob one on twitter at soccer snobs one by searching for us on facebook and of course on the web at www.soccersnobs.ca backslash listen you can leave us your opinion give us any comments and if that's where you want to get nasty feel free to do so